0: Player 1, press start to play. Welcome to episode number seven of Graveyard Duck Podcast. Uh, as always, my name's Scott. And I'm Wes. And Wes, this time this was your pick along, uh, for an episode, and we're doing Metal Slug for, well, originally for the Neo Geo, developed mm-hmm. by Nazca, published mm-hmm. by Nazca and SNK, released in, let's see if I remember this right, it's had several ports, but the original was in April of 96 for the Neo right. Geo, and then mm-hmm. over the years it's, so many different platforms but um, oh yeah yeah talking about the original installment of the franchise here I know that there's been four or five but let's stick to the first one and save the others for future episodes I guess, right? I guess
1: if you're if you're counting in total I think there's probably close to uh, 11 or 12 of these games now if you're counting um, you know different 3d versions and and mobile versions and things like that but I suppose of the core run and gun type metal slugs there's probably seven of them maybe wow. seven or eight more than I thought. Oh. I knew that there were at least three because yeah. I have one and three. But... <laughs> so <laughs> mm. okay, yeah, um, yeah. Um, just to get into it a little bit, I guess uh, Metal Slug is, is a game that I've always, you know, associated with the Neo Geo for for a long time. I don't remember specifically when I played it first, but um, you know, along with Fatal Fury and uh, Samurai Showdown, it was a game that I always saw in the Neo Geo uh, multi-cart uh, arcade cabinets. And I probably played Metal Slug X first, and then probably went back and found um, Metal Slug. They kind of the early ones kind of run together a little bit. At least one, two, and X all kind of have the same military sort of theme. But um, you know, Metal Slug is a game that I've played quite a bit um, for a long time. When I got my um, Neo Geo cabinet, probably 15 years ago or so, um, that one of the games that came with it was Metal Slug. It was a bootleg cartridge, um, so it didn't the sound effects were kind of glitchy and stuff here and there, but Um, you know, it's one that I've owned different ports throughout the years and and constantly come back to. Okay. Uh, Yeah, this is, I'm not going to say that
0: I'm new to the game, but I just, I really don't have a ton of experience with it. Uh, I never owned, you know, the Neo Geo console as a, as a kid growing up. Uh, And I do want to talk about the difference between the cabinet and the console, you know, the Mm -hmm. Neo Geo in a, in a bit here, but um, never had one. And there were only, I think two Neo Geo cabinets in the town that i grew up and i remember one of them was a single cartridge cabinet that only had a uh, magician lord mm-hmm. and the other was a multi that i think they actually switched out a couple of times and if metal slug was on there i don't remember it being there uh, so i didn't really get exposed to this until much later when like the virtual console put a copy of it out uh, mm-hmm. and then obviously you know now getting the switch as soon as they started releasing the Neo Geos. Like this was one of the first ones that I downloaded. So Mm -hmm. um, I would say my exposure to it has really been within the last 10, 15 years or so. Sure. Um, Sure. So yeah, not, not having the Neo Geo before it was, it wasn't one that I had a whole lot of nostalgia for. Uh, And so my exposure to it is a little bit limited, but uh, yeah, you, you suggested it here. So I can definitely say I've got a few playthroughs under my belt
1: now. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's just, um, I, I remember it being sort of, um, you know, a, a, a great game as far as um, playability and, and, you know, sound-wise, a guy for quietest. And it really, it's interesting, I guess, in the life of the Neo Geo itself, it kind of came out a little bit later, um, you know, just when things were really starting to, to heat up because uh, this came out around, what do you say, April of 96. Uh, so you had the King of Fighters series was starting to go really strong. Um, you had a lot of other games really sort of, started coming out that really took advantage of, the um, sort of the the pixel sprite based graphical uh, strengths of the Neo Geo, and I think that Metal Slug is one that really capitalizes on the um, the animation and the level of uh, graphic detail. Right. Yeah. The yeah the Neo Geo was part of the fourth
0: generation, but it was definitely kind of the tail end. Uh, mm-hmm. Originally hit, I think, in nineteen ninety, but. Yeah hardware was discontinued in 97. So yeah, this, Mm -hmm. for this being the first of the franchise and it also being only a year away from the system,
1: you know, going out of service more or less. um, We know what's interesting about that is it didn't, it kind of went out of the the public spotlight, I guess. But, you know, there were still home carts being made up until um, about 2003, 2004. Hmm. Um, Now, granted, you didn't always, you weren't able to get them in stores really, but, um, you know, I can remember like sort of the, Early days of the internet, um, one of the first websites that I belonged to was um, neo geo.com. And you could get a lot of the new release home carts uh, from there. Because there was, a, for a short period of time, I started collecting um, Neo Geo home system stuff when I joined that forum. And it, it was prohibitively expensive at the time. So I was so able so to. So
0: you, you are officially the only person I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, the sad thing is, I mean, I got some really good deals on stuff from members and stuff like that, but, um, you know, you could still get in on, um, new home carts. I know, um, King Fighters 2003 was a big one, um, uh, Samurai Showdown 5, Samurai Showdown 5 Special, Metal Slug 5. Um, so there were a lot of carts that were still being made just in much smaller quantities and a little bit more, um, not quite direct mail service, but, um, you know, more through a distributor, so to speak, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was. I at the time I had. I was working at uh, a job. I had uh, quite a bit of extra income. Don't quite know what to do with it, but uh, um, it got to the point where, it, and this is back in like two thousand three or so, that you know home carts were starting to become much more prohibitively expensive. And it was. It's a weird collector's market because um, the uh, the games, you know, the home carts. You didn't want to play them that much. People just wanted to collect them more. And it got to a point that I figured. You know, I wanted to play these more than I wanted to just have them sit on a shelf. And it was cheaper at the time to um, sell a lot of the home carts in the console and buy a used arcade cabinet and get the MVS cartridges, the arcade carts, uh, for much cheaper. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I sort of transitioned from there.
0: Yeah. And it's I mean, that is an interesting thing. And, you know, the Neo Geo, I remember it you know, coming out and this was kind of around a boom where, you know, prior to this i think that a lot of us knew we knew nintendo we knew sega you know maybe you knew TurboGrafx 16 but there really weren't a lot of other contenders in the market and you know a a couple of things were starting to get rumored you know jaguar uh links you know things like that and then Mm -hmm. this neo geo also had come out and i remember as a kid being just absolutely blown away by the concept of this because this introduced memory cards -hmm. And the idea that you could go play at an arcade, which you know here in the early nineties, like arcades were huge. Like I spent, I don't even know how many rolls of quarters, you know, sitting in arcades as much as I could. And to think, like, oh, you could be playing there in the arcade, and you could have this little memory card plugged into the console because there's a little Mm -hmm. slot right there in the cabinet. And then when you're done, you pull that out, you go home, and you can continue your game at home. And it's just like that's that's still a mind-boggling kind of thing to me i mean the technology obviously i understand but it's like what a cool concept Uh and and then i saw the price tag for the neo geo and that kind of destroyed that but um
1: yep i only ever saw a neo geo once and that was on uh um on vacation i saw in a a babbage's i saw one for sale um you know they had the console it was probably four hundred dollars i think and uh you know they had i think fatal fury and magician lord and i think they were each 199 a piece yeah you know, just way out of reach. But, um, you know, I can remember reading a lot of Hard game fan and um, a lot of other gaming mags around that time that really had a lot of Neo Geo coverage and just looking at the sprite work and the graphic detail in a lot of their games. And like you said, the memory card function, i just thinking, how oh, this would be so great to just have, you know, a memory card, even to just take from, you know, one arcade machine to the next kind of thing. Well, or and even just... like if, if you could have a Neo Geo and your friend had a Neo Geo, like
0: to be able to play your game there and then come home and finish it like mm-hmm. the the possibilities for a kid you know thinking about this were endless sure. um and the other really impressive thing about the neo geo i thought at that time was that you know I, I think this is a good reason or a big part of why arcades died off is that all of our home consoles and our home gaming had always been trying to you know live up to what the arcade was you know you mm-hmm. were trying to emulate that arcade at home but the graphics were never quite on par super sure. nintendo you know was really close with a lot of games some games were better some games not mm-hmm. so much the neo Sega geo is
1: yeah pretty cool
0: right um yeah. and the neo geo is obviously the first one where quite literally it's a home arcade mm-hmm. and so that really kind of sold it. And I think that's also why after this generation, we really started to see the decline of, you know, the arcades is because you could do it better at home.
1: Um, Well, and there's also, there was a push at the time, you know, this is like sort of the tail end of, of your 2d um, side scrolling games as things evolved more into the 32 bit era, when there was more of a push for 3d graphics, 3d worlds, um, you know, and, and things like sprite based, fighters and action games um you know we're kind of the uh the the days gone by at right, that exactly point.
0: yeah yeah all right so that's a good little recap of the neo geo for our first game mm-hmm. talking about the system but uh so let's sure. talk about the game itself uh we talked about kind of our early memories but uh i don't know obviously you like this if this is one that you're kind of drawn to and you kind of
1: keep oh, coming back it. to so yeah absolutely what is it about this that uh appeals to you Um, there's quite a bit actually. Um, you know, obviously being a run and gun style contra type game, uh, I always love those kind of games, but what really sets Metal Slug apart for me is the, the level of detail and the, um, the sense of humor of it. And the the graphics, I mean, yeah, you have this, this war game where you're running through and you're shooting all these soldiers, but there's so much fine detail in the sprite work and the animation, uh, whether it might be a soldier that's just, you know, suntanning on a chair on a boat as you just blast a rocket into him. Um, (laughs) Or it's, you know, two soldiers that are cooking a meal and there's a prisoner tied up next to them. And, um, you know, all of a sudden you show up and just kill everyone or you knife them. and um, Just so many little things.
0: I like the scuba divers with the rockets too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you shoot a tank and the tank's about to blow up and the the door opens and the the driver starts to get out and you shoot him and the corpse just hangs over the top of the tank until it disappears. Yeah, just little details like that. I mean, it's just it's it's funny and it's brutal at the same time, um, but it's got this this sick sort of sense of humor to it, which keeps me coming back.
0: You know, I was really surprised by just the sheer amount of humor in it. Um, uh-huh. It's it's a fun game regardless, but then yeah, the the farther you get into it, you just start seeing all these little things in there that's like, okay, this is just like funny to watch because yeah, like mm-hmm. you're saying, the the different uh, soldiers that you're killing are you know hilarious in their own little right. Um uh-huh. a lot of the little items that you pick up for points, uh if you actually pay yeah. attention to what a lot of those are, it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like oh, I, sure. I think one of the first big point items you find is like a teddy bear that's worth like ten thousand points or something ridiculous mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. There's love letters, there's puppies, there's I mean just all there's sorts a pile of pile of poop that gives you 10 points. Know. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. all of the the POW prisoners mm-hmm. that you rescue. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're these old hermit-looking men with, you know, boxer shorts on, which is sad that- in its own right until they, like, salute you and give you this big old grin and, uh-huh. you know, magic trick to pull a prize out for
1: you. Like, it's... Right. Yeah, they have that look like, you know, like the Chuck Norris missing in action style Vietnam POW guy. And then, you know, here he just whips a, a power-up out of his pants or something. It just runs off. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Or every now and then, if you if you wait too long to rescue them, uh, like once you freed them, if you don't go up to them right away and a bomb like blows up by them, they'll like scream like a little girl and just go running off.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's just, there's so much to it that, uh, um, it's just, it's great. And it's fun to play. I mean, it, um, I think the first game really has a nice balance of, of difficulty and, um, of fun to it that, um, it's not overly complicated. Um, it's not incredibly difficult and I don't feel that it's, very cheap as far as the way it's designed i don't feel that it's designed to be a quarter muncher because the more that you play it the better that you get at it um you know i I think it's pretty balanced and fair and especially out of most of the series having played most of the uh probably the first seven or eight games i feel that this one it it has about the perfect length to it and it has about the perfect amount of difficulty to it yeah i was
0: able to get through this i mean realistically about half an hour is all it you know should yeah. really take to get through six six stages um mm-hmm. there, there is definitely some difficulty and i feel like there are a couple of spots where yeah you're not going to really survive this you know with any real uh you know high probability um uh, but that that said you play through it enough in every single one of those situations that i came upon i realized like oh actually if you just mm-hmm. do this or this it would mm-hmm. be possible to play through this game without dying and yes I mean, it would take, you know, a godlike skill to do it, but it could be done. And I don't think that that's necessarily yeah. the case for a lot of, you know, coin-op arcade games, is that there's at least one right. moment, two moments, somewhere in there that it's just like, yeah, you're going to die here. Like, there's no way around it. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: the there's giant red, red ragged. In, if you anticipate but, it.
0: Well, I mean, I'm I'm thinking back to, like, the uh, D&D Tower of Mystara and oh, sure. Shadow... Mm-hmm tower of doom shadow of mistar like the red dragon that shows up like he's just gonna kill you like there's yeah. no way around that you are going to die <laughs> <That's true. laughs> but yeah um or you just don't have the hit points or something there's there's always mm-hmm. something to wear it's just not quite possible you're gonna get hit nobody's that skilled
1: right. and
0: this one does have a brutal difficulty in the sense of it's a one hit and you're dead uh you get three lives per quarter but um But even so, like the screen is never so overwhelming that you just can't handle it. And if you're smart about what guns you have, if you're smart about using your bombs and Mm -hmm. if you have good reflexes um, or even for that matter, using the metal slug, the tank, you know, Mm -hmm. efficiently. I think there are always ways that you could get through this. Uh, And luckily now, you know, with virtual consoles and things like that becoming more and more, you know uh prevalent, you actually could play this enough to have the experience to, you know, perfect it versus mm-hmm. another roll of quarters to the arcade and, you know, spend your life
1: savings trying to get good at it. Right. Yeah. And it's it's mostly a case of pattern recognition. And once you really memorize the game having played it enough, um, you know, like i said, even even if you don't have a good weapon, if you just have the pea shooter and some grenades, it's still possible um, with a good amount of reflexes and hand-eye coordination and some pattern recognition, um, you know, it's, it's still possible to get through that section it might be really tough, but um, there's ways that you can do it. Right. And I think the fact that the controls are really
0: tight, I think Mm -hmm. that um, the way everything works, like I I don't feel like anything's cheap or um, nothing kind of screws you over. Like you're never like, Oh, I slipped off a ledge and I didn't mean to, or that guy jumped higher than he should be able to. Like, I feel like the controls are really, really, you know, zeroed in Mm -hmm. and, if I die in this
1: game is because I did something stupid. Right. And yeah, the only time I ever um, occasionally, if I if slip up on the controls, it's the, uh, the snow level uh, when you're going up the mountain. Uh, oh yeah. Sometimes if you don't hit the right spot where you jump across from one ledge to the other, sometimes um, it's possible to fall there, but um, I don't necessarily think that's a problem with the controls. It might just be, um, you know, just player error.
0: Yeah. There's a little bit with uh, the joystick, like i noticed a couple of spots where like i I'd, I'd drop down and crouch and like turn to fire but you really have to mm-hmm. hold like there's a little bit of delay to where you really have to hold the button to the right you know or whichever way you're going to face he doesn't immediately turn so sometimes i've been firing right. into the air you know or something um or i died more than once crawling under the uh, electric um like hurdles in mm-hmm. stage two right because you get you got to hold down and right you know, as you go through those, and after my thumb slipping enough,
1: I was just like, "Screw it! I'll jump over." <laughs> yeah, and really, that's the funny thing is that's optional in that part. Um, if you do climb under, um, I believe the teddy bear that's under there is worth fifty thousand points. Yeah, but if you jump uh, to get there, I think it's only worth like five thousand. Hmm. So it kind of it kind of rewards you for um, you know playing a little bit more uh, dangerously, I guess. Uh, so that's if you're if you're looking for a score attack type game. Uh, there's little details here and there that I've noticed that will do that um, later on. I think in that in that stage, as you're approaching the bridge where the uh, rocket guys are firing under, up from underneath, there's a I think it's a little frog that's sitting there, and the um, the rocket guy will shoot that bridge and that power po- or the, the bonus will fall. But if you grab it beforehand, I think it's another fifty thousand. Yeah, there's
0: definitely a lot of uh, variation in how you play it in terms of if you were going for, you know, high score, mm-hmm. there's lots of different stuff you could do to yeah. uh, kind of rack that up. Uh, saving the prisoners, obviously, is a big one. If, mm-hmm. if you die, then any prisoners you had, you know, are gone. But if you right. can manage to you beat, the level, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, beat the level, you know, beat the level without having died, then any of them you had rescued, you get
1: extra points for and get to learn their names, which are always funny. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, yeah, and there's a lot of hidden ones too, um, and a lot of hidden spots that you can shoot to uh, get extra points or extra prisoners as well. Um, You know, like at the beginning of stage two, you can shoot the flags and the clock. um, You get points for those. There's parts in uh, the first stage where you can just shoot up at random parts in the um, in the level, and prisoners will drop, and you'll get power ups and stuff like that. So, yeah. Now, do you
0: find that do you find that it's worth going for the prisoners when you play the game, or do you just kind of Say it's not really worth, you know, putting myself at risk to save them.
1: No, I do. Um, I I like to. Uh, again, part of the appeal of this game is also um, in that classic arcade sense of, you know, how high of a score can I get on one credit, and so I'll try to get as many prisoners as I can. Um, try to finish the level with all of them, and you know, hopefully the tank to get the bonus points.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found that sometimes it just really kind of depends on the situation.
1: Uh, odds of mm-hmm.
0: surviving the stage with sure. them still is. Pretty risky or pretty rare, yeah. but uh, also it's like I like that they always give you a power up when you could save them, but mm-hmm. sometimes that also screwed up screws up the gun that I was going for. Um, yeah, like we true. were talking
1: about in you know other but games, it's could, like gotta be careful what you pick up, <laughs> right, you could walk by them and still get the credit for rescuing them, you don't have to pick up the power up from them,
0: right? No, I, I know, but it's like sometimes yeah. when there's that much stuff on the screen, it's
1: oh, yeah, it's, it's easy to grab easy the to. wrong
0: thing, but yep. Yeah, and then you know you just kind of mentioned the tank. Like that's another you know interesting aspect of the game too. Like once you find that in the stage, you jump in it, and I mean it's a powerhouse. You can mm-hmm. basically just run over people from that point forward. Uh, but it doesn't take too many hits before that you know blows up unless you
1: can keep finding fuel for it. Um, yeah, yeah, you can take uh, what, about four hits I think in it. Maybe unless you find the gas cans, and um... but you have the the infinite machine gun. Right. And you had the cannon. Um and also if you crouch in the tank, you can still throw your grenades as well. Yeah, so and then there's more...
0: one extra special move that if you jump out of it while hitting the fire button, you kinda launch it like a uh like a bomb
1: at uh something on the mm-hmm. screen. Which um I don't know if you've done it by mistake or not, but that's something that I always do by mistake sometimes if I'm Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> if I'm shooting and then I'm trying to jump over a projectile and I was like, Oh crap, I hit all the buttons and there goes the tank and I'm you know, just outside of it now right <laughs> there it goes so yeah it's kind of funny it's probably designed on purpose that way but um, so I think I speaking know. of high scores um,
0: you've definitely you know beaten the record for this uh, I've like I said I'm pretty new to it played through it a couple of times this week beat it in 20 credits then again in 19 and mm-hmm. you just kind of blew us out of the water by hitting with uh, nine and then even topped that with seven so uh-huh. throw out some suggestions here what are what are your
1: what are, your, um, what are your tips? What are your pointers for doing that? Well, you know, really, it's just the first couple of stages. Um, I don't think after after having played it for a long time, um, I think they're pretty easy to grasp as far as um, positioning and where you need to be and things like that. Um, most of the time in the early levels, the biggest trouble I would have would be when a helicopter comes down and uh, it's dropping three bombs. And sometimes those get faster and it's harder to. Um, to shoot in and dodge the uh, bombs as well. For those, I found that like the the best thing you can do is when they
0: first show up, get yourself positioned to one edge of the screen. Mm-hmm. That way, you can kind of shoot up at them, and then when they drop the bombs, you just inch over just a little bit, shoot up, yeah. inch over. But if you start in the middle of the screen when they show up, by the time you've inched your way to the edge of the
1: screen, you, you can't, you know, cross back over that bomb spread. And, yeah. Something that I'll do is I'll try to stay um, right underneath the cockpit at all times and uh, try to constantly shoot it. Um, if you do need to cross um, while it's throwing bombs, um, you can throw a grenade into the bombs and that will blow up all three of them. So you can <laughs> cross underneath them um, without being hit. If you need to double back. Um, it just kind of depends. Um, I don't really have too much trouble in the game until, um, I believe it's is it the the winter level when you, you fight the... Um, uh, sort of the commando guy, I don't remember his name. Yeah, uh, big ball dude. Yeah, the, come on, boy, like that guy. <laughs> uh, just because uh, there's a certain pattern that uh, that that boss battle sort of follows, and it depends where, you're, uh, where your character is in relation to him. Because, uh, you know, obviously he can either shoot a long stream of bullets at you, um, or if you're close to him, he'll instantly kill you with a, a knife attack. So I'll try to usually throw a couple of bombs. I'll be standing, like, on the top. I'll try to throw a few towards the bottom to try to bait him down there. And then it's just a matter of trying to stay directly above him and shoot down at him.
0: Yeah, I had luck if I stayed on top and just kind of jumped back and forth from the left to the right. He would mm-hmm. he would stay at the bottom. And like mm-hmm. when I jumped over to the right, he would then try to follow me over. But on the on the bottom of the screen, throw a couple of bombs on his head as he's like crossing over. And then when you jump back over, he usually like shoots up at you once. But if you just jump over the bullets, you can kind of yeah. just stay above him and he stays down down mm-hmm. below but yeah the first up couple times you get to them, it's just like man this guy just poses
1: <laughs> you right um after that the the city level isn't too bad uh, when you're going through um you know you have the metal slug tank and you're driving over the cars and stuff like that it gets a little tough um when you start getting up to those checkpoints that um it's like the wall and there's vehicles coming behind you and there's you know like a guard post up there um what i try to do is just focus strictly on on the walls and blow those up forget about the enemies behind you and try to push your way forward. Um, so that's not too bad. The second half of that level is kind of rough with um, the plane shooting at you and you're on the bridge and the, um, a lot of the soldiers, I tend to die a couple of times there. I don't quite have that pattern down. Um, the only other one would be on the last level, um, you get that, you're on the top of that submarine and you get that uh, that cannon that you can just get in and, and start um, wrecking everything with. Yeah, and the control- sometimes- controls for that are not the best. It's a little weird. Um, Once you kind of get the hang of it, it kind of swings back and forth just in sort of an opposite way of what you would expect. But uh, there's times that you have to jump out of that to avoid the um, the bullets that are coming at you. So it's constantly a game of jumping back onto it, shooting, getting off of it, positioning yourself. Yeah, it Um, requires
0: really tight reflexes to be able to right. like you, you, you get off of it to avoid the bombs and then. Some soldiers start coming from the right-hand side, so you got to jump back on it real quick to shoot them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, if your if your timing's not right, you know, I I've gotten shot and died a couple times trying to get back onto the thing. Right, right.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I guess um, the biggest tip I could really say is just um, just to practice and uh, you know really kind of learn the uh, learn where the um, where the bullets come from that are going to kill you. Right. Uh, Because most of the soldiers they won't kill you if you're up close to them but there are some that will pull out their knife and try to attack you right away and there's some that jump out and try to kill you instantly
0: um, i was gonna say those are the worst are the ones that like
1: yeah kamikaze
0: come at you with <laughs> a knife in hand from the air and just mm-hmm. it's like well where the hell were you <laughs> right
1: yeah so yeah. sometimes it's just Bullshit. a matter of learning learning where they're going to appear and you know either running under them or shooting them as they're above you and things like that so yeah
0: yeah and I think you were, you're were right when you said that this is a really good length because it's the type of game that because that pattern is so crucial to you know succeeding it's not so long that you're going to forget the things that you learned at stage mm-hmm. 1 by the time you get to the end or you know right. vice versa it's like i said i i was taking my switch with me to work and over an hour long launch break i could eat lunch play through an entire game of this and then still mm-hmm. get you know through a a cup on mario kart
1: so right yeah all, all of that an hour um, that's pretty good you know yeah, 30 and, 35 minutes on this it's that's really good
0: right and so. it's it's fun there's there's no slow spots there aren't any boring parts There's no part that's like oh i love this game except for this that's really frustrating mm-hmm. or annoying it's like it, it's a really fun ride and yeah I, th- I think 30 minutes is a perfect length for mm-hmm. that sort of a thing sure um and i mean if you if you have more time to kill then. Hell, do it again, like <laughs> right, so.
1: right, and that's what's that's what's fun about the series is uh, it's it's a great, you know, series to just pick up and play. Um, three is my favorite, but three can really tend to overstay its welcome sometimes uh, because it's significantly longer. And but the nice thing in three is there's so many alternate paths that um, they're not readily apparent, but there's different different routes that you can take to get to the final level. Uh, but that one you're looking at probably more. 45 to maybe 50 minutes for a complete playthrough and the last level gets really really tough so um, you're going to average probably about 30 continues probably on metal slug three but Hmm. the first one like i said i I feel like the first one is is balanced enough and it's uh you know just the right length that um it doesn't overstay its welcome um you know you can you can co-op it with somebody and just pick it up and play, and uh, have a really good time. I think that's one of its strengths. Yeah, definitely. Um,
0: OK, so I know we kind of already touched on it a little bit, but um, I do have a different feature that I want to do for our tips and tricks section this week, because this mm-hmm. game just kind of warrants it. Uh, but before we do, we always talk about the differences you know, regionally uh, between the games. And one of the things that I really like about the, the Switch and the options that you get there is that it has the Japanese and the US releases already Mm -hmm. included um so that's as far as my experience goes with the differences so if you know more feel free to chime in um but playing the difference there i mean the biggest thing that i noticed and maybe this is you know all there is it's just the insane level of violence in the japanese version (laughs) yeah which i gotta say it was interesting to put the japanese version on because it's it was like having the blood code from Mortal Kombat all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. you shoot somebody, and there's just this giant squirt of blood coming out of them.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they're also not quite as happy-sounding when they die. Right. Um, and I, I got to say that after playing it, I, I preferred the U.S., because mm. not that I, you know, like people laughing when they die, but it was just there was something more fun to it. Um, you hit somebody with a flamethrower and they, you know, just kind of scream and flail like a cartoon. Like, I don't know, yeah. that was
1: enjoyable to me, but right, <laughs> Japanese did version you, uh... reminded
0: me that I was, like,
1: murdering okay. people. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. Um, it's, there's a way that you can turn on the blood code in the um, U.S. version as well. Okay. I don't know if you messed with that at all in the settings, but... No, I did not. Um, what's interesting is a lot of Neo Geo games, the U.S. versions were sort of censored. Versus what the Japanese versions were, because um, you know, like this game and um, Samurai Showdown, uh, most of that series, for instance, the uh, Japanese versions would always have the blood and the fatalities in, and the U.S. version might not always have that. And what's interesting is, you know, in the arcade version, the operator had to, you know, turn that on or off. So you know, you could toggle violence on, or you can turn it off completely. But on the home system, the stock system by itself. Most of the time it didn't have the blood or the, um, you know, the extra violence sort of added in. You had to uh, sort of mod your system with a uh, different BIOS chip to be able to select the, um, the different types of uh, dip switches like the arcade had. So the blood, the violence, things like that. Hmm, interesting. The other thing that's interesting on the home versions, almost all of the um, most of the home carts, um, it, again, played on a stock system, limited you to uh, four credits per side. So they weren't quite, at least on the AES Neo Geo, you didn't quite have unlimited continues on every game. You might have, you know, four credits and then it's back to the main screen, unless you modded your system. Right. But those yeah, mods that's... didn't come out until much later. So.
0: Right. Yeah, I always wondered how that would play, and without having ever had the uh, Neo Geo home system, you know, and seeing how mm. that worked, I didn't know if the, you know, unlimited credits option was there
1: or not. And um, so yeah, it, it depended on the game because certain games had sort of a. Not quite a console mode, but they had, um, I don't remember which one specifically, but there are some that, you know, that would allow for unlimited credits, but uh, the majority of them, from what I remember, just on a stock system would have, you know, four credits per side. So if you used up all four of your credits, you know, you'd have to plug your controller into the second port and join in as player two right away (laughs) before you lost they essentially give you eight credits, but um, it just depends on the game. Switch your bandana color halfway through the game, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, but, uh, the weird thing is with, um, again, talking about like Neo Geo prices and things like that, especially on the home system. Um, if you look it up and the prices have been ridiculous anyway, but, um, metal slug, the first one is one of the most sought after games. Um, at least probably about 10 years ago, it was still going for about probably 13 to $1,500 yeah. for the cartridge, the case and the manual. Um, but the problem is that, with Neo Geo games, there's a ton of bootlegs out there, and it's really hard to spot um, fakes unless you open up the cart and look at the board to see the uh, the soldering work done. So it's kind of I don't know, kind of a gamble.
0: Yeah, it's one of those unfortunate risks of um, or downsides to modern collecting of retro gaming. It's yeah. As much as I love that there's been this yeah. huge resurgence of you know love for retro gaming, it's at the same time making collecting and uh you know owning some of that stuff at home just almost impossible. And I just yeah. I hate that aspect of it because that's I don't know. It's never cost me a lot of money to have video games. Mm. You know, yeah we talked about inflation many times, but otherwise this this is the stuff that was cheap and this is the stuff that was, you know, accessible. And now mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's just like, right. no, you're you're gonna pay out the ass for all of these <laughs>
1: games that you know you remember from your childhood. So oh, sure. But I think a lot of that, too, um, at least on the, the arcade side, I, like I said, the, the metal slug that I got with my um, cabinet was a bootleg cart as well. So a lot of the bootlegs also came from, I think, the arcade side, too, as, as well, um, you know, as an as alternative either for operators to get a cheaper cart for their arcade or, you know, obviously the, uh, the multi-cart bootlegs were a huge thing for a while, you know, where it said like 196 games in one. Or something like that. Um, so I mean, it's just it's just something that it's always been there, but it's been um, it, it gets harder and harder to spot as the right. technology gets better. The bootlegs get better, right? Sure. Um, you know. Well, I mean,
0: hell, with the way emulators are now, like it's almost well, depending on what you're working with, like almost impossible to distinguish between an emulated game versus a a mm-hmm. you know real one. Like the it's it's running the same engine, the same processor, the same program. So yeah, yeah, it's. Just one of those never ending arguments of, you know, well, really, what's the difference? But uh-huh.
1: the good news is, though, um, that I think, especially with Metal Slug is it's available on, like you said, so many different platforms. And, um, you know, if, if you're really looking for them, there's a ton of Neo Geo games that are out there, uh, whether it be like on a PS2 disc of, um, you know, SNK Arcade Classics. Um, they also have the Metal Slug Anthology that has all of them on there. Uh, At least like the first seven or eight of them, uh, which was also on the Wii and it was on, I don't remember. Um, So, I mean, there's lots of avenues out there. and Of course, the Switch now, um, you know, so even if you don't own a Neo Geo, you don't have to go out and spend hundreds of dollars. Like you said, um, you know, these are pretty readily accessible for, um, you know, eight to ten bucks a piece. Right. Hell, it's on the iOS and Android right now, even. Sure. Yeah. So. So I'm right. glad to see as a, as an SNK fan, I guess, I'm glad to see that, um, that these games are still out there. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that the, the company is still making money off of the IP, which is, uh, which is good news because, right. um, especially, I don't know how much you read up on SNK, but around 2002 or so, um, when the original SNK shut down, they, um, kind of reformed as a company called Playmore that I believe was, might've been a Korean company that had some SNK uh, members on it. So then um, Metal Slug 4 got farmed out to um, a company called Noise Factory, who they ended up just kind of copying, using a lot of the original art assets. And um, it's more of a ROM hack kind of a game where it's not okay. quite original. Um, it's, not, it, it's not my favorite of the series, but um, they also put out a couple other games. Um, Playmore did, uh, I think, King of Fighters 2002 and 2003, um, and a couple other games. And then after that, I think they rebranded a couple of years later as SNK Playmore, and then now it's kind of back to SNK. I think some of the original, um, the original people have kind of got back together and you know sort of reformed the company, bought the original rights back and stuff like that. So um, it's cool to see that you know the company has not quite faded into obscurity, but has sort of survived this um, roller coaster of uh, you know kind of in and out of of the spotlight.
0: Well, and and the Neo Geo would have been you know of all of those retro gaming systems you know third and fourth generation being kind of my golden era like the neo mm-hmm. geo is the one that would have gone into obscurity i think because right. it doesn't have a big name like nintendo behind it and sure. even sure. sega went out like sega was a big enough name and had a big enough you know property behind it that those games were still going to survive somehow mm-hmm. um, but you know Yeah, the Neo Geo was the one because the price point was so high when it did come out. It's the kind of thing that, you know, yeah, a decent number of people remember it, but I'm willing to bet that there's a whole lot of people from that era that, you know, never actually touched a Neo Geo game. So Mm -hmm.
1: if they never see an SNK game again, well, where's the big loss? Um, Right. And I would say the same thing with the uh, TurboGrafx-16 as well, the PC engine. Definitely, uh, yeah. You know, where it's like, we didn't have a lot of exposure to that unless you actively sought it out. Or, you know, if you wanted to be that one kid in the neighborhood that had the obscure system that nobody else had, you know, and you might have like five or six games, but they're getting games constantly. Um, and that was no fun, you know, growing up. If you had the, said sort of the system that nobody else had, nobody wanted to trade games with you, but uh, <laughs> you know, nobody um, could trade games with you. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's interesting because there are so many, uh, like you said, there's so many games that, you know, maybe people haven't been exposed to. And in a lot of these cases, they're really good games. Or, you know, like I said, with, you know, Metal Slug, it's, it's got a sense of humor and it's got, you know, this level of detail that you just don't see this in modern games anymore. I mean, as, as far as um, sprite work goes, you know, obviously uh, good sprite designers are not nearly as prevalent as they once were. So that's what kind of gives these games sort of a timeless feel in that um you know they they have a, a it's they're labors of love i guess is what i'm trying to say where people have really poured a lot of attention and detail into the design of these games and uh, i think that you know i think that what is what makes them hold up definitely
0: all right so let's get into a uh, modified tips and tricks section real quick before we sure. kind of wrap it up and give our final recommendations tips and tricks OK, so what I wanted to do here, because this is the kind of game, as I was trying to think of what tips or tricks we could come up with, um, it, it occurred to me that this is the kind of game that's hard to really give too much suggestions, because you know this isn't the kind of game where you're struggling to, to get to the end. Um, because we're talking about you know these coin-op um, quarter muncher type games, really, as long as you have another quarter, you can get through any challenge that there is. Mm-hmm. And you, you put the coin in, you immediately start right back where you were, and hell, they even give you 10 bombs again and uh, a new weapon. Mm-hmm. So your score gets reset, but you just kind of keep on moving through. So as I was kind of thinking about this, I was like, okay, with the advent of you know, a lot more home... You know, virtual consoles. You know, games like this coming out on you know the Wii, the Wii U, uh, and now the Switch. You know, taking full advantage of the Neo Geo, and we're getting already you know 20 plus titles available mm-hmm. for purchase there. I think we're going to start seeing more and more games like this become available in the home. And so I wanted to, where what I wanted to do is just kind of have a discussion and pick your brain about when it comes to this style of game, uh, one that theoretically you're playing at home, or even if you are playing it at the arcade, and you know we're all adults now, we have conceivably more than five dollars to mm-hmm. go to the arcade with if we want to. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the appeal to playing a game like this now, considering the challenge is more or less stripped away? Because all you got to do is hit that button again, and mm. you can just keep going. Is is there still a good replay value for this kind of thing? What's the challenge? What are things that you could do to kind of keep it fresh and? are these relevant and are these worth people downloading now, or is this just kind of a novelty that you play at once and that's kind of all you want?
1: So I know it's a lot of, a
0: lot of questions there at once, but huh.
1: yeah, I would absolutely say that there's um, still a lot of relevance in, um, in coin-op arcade games as far as uh, um, playability and it goes, there's several different ways that they can go. I think, um, you know, if you're, if you're playing by yourself, I think, you're going to have to challenge yourself to either try to play it on as few continues as possible, um, or try to go for a high score and try to you know uh, clear it on one credit if you if you want to. But um, I think another enjoyable aspect of it, like we've talked about with the length, is um, as far as a co-op game. You know, if you have somebody, you know, you're just hanging out with somebody and um, you guys are playing games. I think these kind of games are great to just pop in, you know, twenty or thirty credits, hand somebody a controller, and just play through the game. Um, I think it's it's sort of a fun way, and especially it depends on, I guess it depends on the other person um, and their gaming tastes and things like that. But um, no, I think it's absolutely enjoyable um, either way. If you play through with unlimited credits, or if you just want to, um, you know, try to to get better at it and improve to to one credit clear it. I think that's another another big aspect to um, retro arcade gaming is is trying to beat the game on one credit. I watched a playthrough. I don't remember who it was, uh, but I watched a playthrough on youtube of the first metal slug and it was a one credit clear on the level eight difficulty and just watching this guy play i mean it's it's mesmerizing i mean as far as what what this person does to really um learn the game in and out and i think that's the challenge i think that still holds up but you have to be willing to accept that um the game is not going to limit itself to you you have to impose that limitation on it if you want to but when well, i you don't necessarily and I, have to
0: and i think you're right and and all of those are really valid points and it's, it's interesting coming at this as a retro gamer, too, because I think that that's one of the big criticisms that I have about a lot of modern games, is that the, that kind of challenge has just been stripped away. Mm-hmm. Um, so many games now, I feel like if you die, OK, you respawn like maybe 10 feet from where you died. And mm-hmm. hell, if you go back to where you died, you can pick up all of your stuff and just kind of keep moving. Sure. Um, I, I feel that there's several games that are, you kind of have this same feel of just all it takes to beat it is just you know enough patience and enough time and that's mm-hmm. the only thing holding you back from completing the game mm-hmm. whereas with a lot of the retro gamings that we're used to, I mean we, we've talked about it before and you know these games will come up on our uh, kind of bucket list you know as we do these episodes but like there are still old NES games that for 25 years now, have been, you know, plaguing me as like I can't quite beat this one,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: mm-hmm. you only have two continues to use, or you only have, you know, three lives, or you only have this, you only have that. Like, sure, that's that's a built-in part of the challenge, and it's not just a matter of getting through this stage; it's getting through this stage and still having enough resources to then get through the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, to take a game like this and just say like, well, we're just going to strip that away, and we're just going to give you a- as much as you need to just keep going with Uh no no consequence other than your score so it's going to take a certain kind of player to be able to i guess want to challenge Mm themselves and want to get that high score and they want to try to see like this time can i beat it with never getting a different gun or this time can i beat it with Mm -hmm. you know only this or whatever and it's the The other thing that it, it occurred to me is that, like, this is almost taking an even more retro step back to the early arcade games. You know, talking mm-hmm. about Donkey Kong and talking about Pac Man and games like this, where in those games, it wasn't about beating the game; mm-hmm. it was purely about the score. Right. And so, you know, you you can, yeah, you can beat Donkey Kong because there's, you know, two three stages, but then you just play through them over again and then over again mm-hmm. and then over again, and it's it's about the points. It's not about the you know, finish line. So,
1: yeah. And I think um, another, another thing that kind of has helped, um, you know, bring that challenge about is um, just the advent in um, the tech as far as uh, streaming is concerned, whether it be YouTube or Twitch or things like that. Um, you know, I think that there's obviously a market there for people that uh, want to be able to show off their skills and, and broadcast to the world. You know, here's me playing through Metal Slug on one credit. And there's, there's an audience for that now. And I think that's something that is sort of a throwback to the old days of the arcade, where you know you'd gather around um, a machine. If if you knew like a certain player at your arcade was you know just um, just the shit at a certain game, and he walks in, everybody's like, oh shit, you know, dude's here. Um, He's gonna throw down on a game. You're gonna go walk over there and just watch him play because it's it's a way to see you know somebody's skill on display. And I think that that concept has sort of migrated into the online side of things now with um you know being able to stream and being able to show it off
0: you know Wes I gotta say I'm, I'm impressed that I'm able to put a podcast out you know every couple of weeks but you're starting to get really tech talky and I I, I don't understand these twitches and things you're talking about so that's, <laughs> old man yells at clouds past me uh no oh, a, funny. F- a funny anecdote you know on those same lines though was when I was in college I remember a day that um I had a couple hours to kill between classes or whatever and i you know was just sitting in my room and i put on a uh, contra for the nes mm-hmm. and um I had a roommate mm-hmm. who didn't believe that i could beat the game without using the 30 lives code mm-hmm. and i'm like no I, i've done it before and i was like it's been a long time but i'm sure i can so yeah. yeah sat down and started playing it and um was just completely in the zone paying attention to the game i think he even left at one point and was like mm-hmm. oh, i'll be back later and all of a sudden i was in um the aliens' lair, and I had just, you know, killed the head, and I. There was one point like I almost made it. I was jumping over a pit, and I almost died, and I made it through. And I hear the loudest gasp I had ever heard in my life, <laughs> uh-huh. and I turn around, and the door to my dorm room was propped open, and there were like fifteen to twenty people that nice. had gathered in the hallway and were watching this because the word had spread through the whole dorm sure. that somebody was going to beat Contra without the thirty lives code, uh-huh. and. I was like, okay, yeah, no pressure now. But, um, right. End of the story. I did do it, but it was just like, I was amazed that people Mm -hmm. not only knew what that meant, but then gathered because they're like, oh, no, I got to go see this. And it's it's exactly what you're saying about the arcade, too.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's, that's something that, um, you know, is, is worthy of, of challenge as far as, you know, being able to, um, to do something that obviously in games like this that a lot of people have played, it's, it's a huge recognition of, um, you know, of player skill and mastery to be able to just sit down and just run through it on three lives. Hey, we're not good at sports, but we can uh, play video games, right? I would rather play video games than sports.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> that's just me, I guess. But I don't think uh, so. Yeah. Um, all right, so I think that's pretty good place to wrap up here. Um, overall, do you have? Any kind of final thoughts or recommendations? You know,
1: people should check this out or. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely, again, if you're if you're a fan of run and gun type games, I would definitely um, check this out. And I would encourage you to to look at the rest of the series. But, um, you know, also check out some of the other stuff that Nazca has done. Um, One of the more famous ones that they did before, either before Metal Slug or around the same time is a shooter called In the Hunt. and It's a submarine based um, shooter. That plays a lot like Metal Slug, and it has the same same graphic style to it, as far as the super detailed sprite work, the um, you know really cool looking, cartoon like um, graphics. Um, if you like running gun games, you know that's definitely um, one that's really good. But if you enjoy Metal Slug, I would encourage you to to definitely play through, you know X. Um, you could probably skip two, I think, because X is more of like a director's cut of two, because Metal Slug two came out and it had a lot of slowdown, had a lot of issues with it. So the next year it came out as a Metal Slug X was sort of a director's cut one. Um, I would definitely recommend three. Um, You could probably skip four. I would play five. And then from there, um, later on, um, six and seven, I think, are on, uh, I know they're on the PS2 collections for sure, but um, there's one on the DS as well. Uh, But you start getting some different stuff in the later games. You start getting uh, more types of Metal Slug tanks. There's more characters to play as. Um, and, And... Different power ups, different weapons, stuff like that. So, um, if you like the first one, I would recommend checking out the series because they're they're all a lot of fun. Um, you know, except for four, but um, you know you can always go back and check it out. But yeah, I'm gonna give this a big recommend
0: too. Um, it's like like Wes said, it's just a ton of fun. Um, it's it's the kind of game that's—it's very easy to pick up and figure out what to do. Um, mm. Hard to master, but I mean, I think that's—as we said—that's the challenge of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, it's just incredibly enjoyable. You're gonna find yourself laughing, and you know, if you're not the biggest fan of, you know, say, army-type games or shooter games, like it's—I it, think it's still worth a shot because it's—it's it's a little bit mm-hmm. different than what you're expecting. Uh, the, oh, absolutely. The, humor especially but um yeah i would say just be prepared for the fact that it's a very fast-paced game um Mm -hmm. we've kind of been comparing it to games like contra or something like that which i feel like is a much you know slower much more controlled game like this has a lot more chaos factor to it but um yeah if you've got the reflexes and enjoy that kind of thing like i mean there's nothing to lose and because it's so readily available nowadays Mm -hmm. with um you know all the virtual consoles and everything else like we said i mean Less yeah. than ten bucks, you can get this either on an anthology
1: or a virtual download or something. So, yeah, um, and it's definitely worth it because we might not have been as exposed to it, you know, in the U.S. But I know in Japan, Metal Slug is sort of um, ubiquitous with like candy stores and um, convenience stores. As far as you know, either having the arcades in the shop or having a couple of cabinets outside the shop. Um, I know from just watching a lot of Game Center CX episodes that. Um, 99% of the time, there's always a Metal Slug 1 cabinet um, at one of the stores. So I think it's interesting to see, you know, that sort of that side of it that, you know, if you grew up in Japan in the 80s and 90s, you probably saw this game everywhere. I mean, it was probably, you know, the equivalent of what we would equate to Pac-Man almost. Um, But, you know, over here, we didn't quite have that same exposure. Yeah. But I would, yeah, I would definitely recommend checking it out if you haven't already.
0: Alrighty. So, uh, I think that wraps up another episode here. Um, good, uh, good discussion on the Neo Geo. I think that, um, it's kind of, like I said, one of the peripherals of the generations that we're kind of talking about on the show, but, uh, got to dip our toe in here at some point and something that I think deserves
1: a lot more love than, yeah. And I hope, I hope you've enjoyed them as well, as far as just, you know, taking a a first look at them because there's so many, there's so many Neo Geo games that I want to cover on this show. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that that enthusiasm sort of carries over. But again, it's interesting, um, you know, kind of seeing somebody that's approaching the game for the first time versus somebody that's played it quite a bit too. So I like, I like seeing that contrast as well. All right, so if any of the listeners have a favorite Neo Geo game that they
0: want to hear us discuss next, uh, how would they get in touch with us?
1: Well, there's several ways. Obviously, um, you can find us on Twitter. Um, we're at Duck Graveyard, um, which sounds really morbid, of course. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, um, to see, uh, we do retro game, uh, songs of the day and box art of the day and stuff like that. So if there's a game that you want to, um, you want us to cover that you want to talk about, um, you can give us a shout out on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. Um, we have a page on Facebook, graveyard duck podcast, um, lots of good discussion going on there. Um, you could email us as well. Um, graveyard duck podcast at gmail.com. Um, if you want to write us a, a strongly worded letter, um, I probably wouldn't encourage that but um you know if you want to send a raven or uh you know carrier pigeon i guess you could do that too but uh uh, primarily um you know twitter facebook um we have a website um also on uh, geek nerdery um if you've ever checked out any of geek nerdery stuff um, we have our show on there there's quite a bit of other uh, podcasts that are hosted on there too so hopefully if you're into um, geek things or nerdy things or geek nerdy things. Um, you'll find a lot of interesting things on there as well. Right.
0: Alrighty, yeah. I think that um,
1: wraps it up. So for another episode, I am Scott and I'm Wes. And in this case, uh, be sure to watch how many credits that you have uh, when continuing, because nobody likes to run to the change machine to get four more quarters and see the continue screen blink out. Somebody's bound to steal your spot. Probably. Game. Over.